Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Uh, not Santa says that uh, how many packs did Branham smoke before the show? It's been it's, used already, Santa. I think it sounds been used. I do sound sexy, though, don't I? Yeah, you do sound like Demi Moore. You're right. That's your go-to for that? Well, I mean, that's I, your, I that's your synonym? Demi Moore's got a voice like that. Oh, you went voice. I thought you were going sexiness. Yeah, yeah no, just voice. <laughs> 713-780-3776. I know better to bring that up with you. Uh, David thinks that our take on Mauricio is BS. All right, David. Uh, you're in the high with the Killer Bees. Uh, it's great to talk to you, David. What's going on? All right, yo. I just think you guys take on Mauricio Dubon is completely unfair. He's a young guy. He's 28. If you've seen him at the plate this season. He can hit. He, and pinch hit that guy in the playoffs anywhere you need him. That's all I got to say. Appreciate it, David. We appreciate you. We appreciate the call. We appreciate you listening to the Killer Bees. Yeah, I don't know that you listened though, because um, because we said he would be perfect in a utility guy off the bench role that they need for the playoffs. I We're mean, just saying he's not the guy you plug and play every game in the playoffs. That designated hitter. I mean, I'm crushing him a little bit. <laughs> I'm crushing Dubon a little bit. I say, I mean, I've called him a below average offensive player, which he is. It's a fact. Um, Reese Dubon's not young. He's 29 years old. Um, that's usually kind of close to the prime of your career. Look, I, I hate that I'm doing this because I like Dubon. I love Dubon as a utility guy. He's a great story. He's had, he's, he's had a really good year. He filled in when Jose Altuve was hurt, and, and he saved you. Like like Willie said earlier, you're probably five games worse without Mauricio Dubon. Mauricio Dubon has value as a super utility guy that can fill in at a pinch. If you're playing him every single day, it means you're getting an underrated offensive guy at that position every single day. 260 batting average this year when we think he's having a career year. He's got a 287 on base percentage, which is poor. His slugging percentage is poor, 367. 654 OPS is poor. And an OPS plus of 80 is poor. He's not a good offensive player. Good no. super utility guy. Uh, he, like Now, to David's point, like to, I guess, talk out of both sides of my mouth and maybe defend David here a little bit, the one thing that Dubon does have plus offense in and like one attribute is contact. He's a, he, he puts the bat on the baseball. He's good at touching the baseball. Uh, that, is, that is one plus for Mauricio Dubon. So if you're in a spot where you need contact late in the game, yeah, give me Mauricio Dubon there. I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, look, I, like I said, I don't want to crap on him either. I, I keep saying that there's this list of five to seven or eight guys that have saved the Astros' bacon this year. And he's one of those guys at the forefront. What he did filling in for Altuve that no one could have seen coming or expected has been top-notch, above average, fantastic. But we're talking about a team right now that's trying to win a World Series. And we're talking about the best roles and the best way to fill every position on the field and on the bench. He is a bench guy that can be used in a multitude of different ways because he can play different positions and because he can put bat to baseball. But when you think about the impact a guy in your designated hitter position is supposed to have, he doesn't bring those attributes on a night-by-night basis from an offensive perspective, and I just don't feel like that's enough. We were talking about where could they have done better, where could they have gotten another bat, what could that bat have done, that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, 713-780-3776. HRP listener line. Um, Houston Texans playing football today. All the retweets we saw out of Texans practice. I didn't go today. I'm a little under the weather. Um, is that CJ Stroud had a really good day. CJ Stroud was great. He needed to. What is phase two for the Houston Texans? Borrowing Tillman for Tita's terms, you know, coming off the NBA offseason, they, they fired Silas, they hired Ime Adoka, and you heard that term phase two a lot for the Rockets, which I, I think really he meant they just want to start winning more games and like maybe be on the, the cusp of being a playoff team. But for the Houston Texans to enter Phase 2, 
What does it look like for them? What is phase two for Cool Cat Cal, D'Amico Ryans, and the Houston Texans? Well, I think winning becomes more of uh, a priority and possibly expected. And I don't think that from that perspective, I don't think they're there yet. But I think phase two would be instead of trying to develop, redevelop your roster and add youth and infuse all the different things from the system to the coach to the coaches to everything that you're doing, that you're ready to take the next step, which is to focus on winning, to expect to win, to take on every opponent thinking you're better than them or you have a really good chance of winning the game. Um, I don't think that this is why that trade bothered me so much because I didn't think that they were quite there yet. And I thought that that pick might be kind of instrumental in taking that next step quicker to phase two. But for now, that's how I would, I guess that's how I would start to define it. Yeah, I would uh, I would kind of uh, piggyback off that a little bit and look at certain positions. Like, if, if the, for the Houston Texans to kind of reach, let's say, like nine wins, not next year, the year after that, like, you know, Stroud has to be good. Like, the obvious, Will Anderson has to be good. Petrie's got to take the next step. Stingley needs to stay on the field. Kenyon Green needs to not be a bust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Juice Scruggs might have to be pretty good. Scott Quesenberry was carted off the field today. So you might be pressing a rookie into action at a center, which I think is the second most difficult position to play as a rookie offensively in the NFL. And the Texans are going to have rookie, rookie at center quarterback. I think it's going to be an issue in terms of winning football games. But I'm looking phase two and I'm looking year, I'm looking two years out. I'm looking next offseason. Because I, I think the I think that the Texans can bring excitement and there there is excitement there. And I'm excited about where the Texans are going. I think the arrow's pointing up. What the Rockets just did though like hiring Adoka, the, the Texans are a year ahead of hiring their coach with D'Amico Ryan. But they're adding talent, and then they're adding free agents on top of that. They're trying to build this complete team. So the, the Texans have, like, the young players. They need to hit on the young players, but they have the young players from C.J. Stroud to Damian Pierce, Kenyon Green. You, know, you have anchors on the tackles with Laramie and with Titus Howard. Defensively, you have Harris, Stingley. Uh, you have Petrie, Will Anderson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to start adding the veterans to the mix, though, that, that are going to build. Fleets, yeah. Yeah. The, and, Dylan, the Dylan Brooks, whether you like him or not. Yep. The, not the, not the, the. That's, and I think that's next year. Yeah. Not the one year veteran player that comes in either trying to prove himself for another big deal somewhere else or the one year deal for a guy that's teetering on maybe past his prime a little bit that you're just going to try and look to get one more good season out of. This is the one where you commit dollars and years and know. It's impactful for your roster for those years. And you, you probably are overspending, like like Dylan Brooks, like Christian Kirk. You probably are overspending. Like whenever the Jags signed Qu- Christian Kirk, it was to enhance Trevor Lawrence. The Texans are probably going to be in that spot next offseason. So whenever I look phase two, I actually look two positions. Wide receiver is the obvious. Wide receiver is the obvious. Now, Dalton Schultz is only on a one-year two, a one-year deal. Tight end might be uh, something you talk about, too, although we want the tight end from Georgia to slide to the Texans wherever they're picking. Uh, wide receiver. And, like, we know that T. Higgins is a free agent, things like that. I don't even want to, like, you know, zero in on one specific player. But I think that they're probably going to have to sign wide receiver firepower next offseason, especially as an outside guy. And then, like, we've talked a lot about John Grenard. I'm really intrigued to see what John Grenard looks like in this defense. Because if John Grenard's really good then you eliminate my second position of need. I think Will Anderson's going to be very, very good. But if you have a duo of Will Anderson and then other really good pass rusher, that is something that, especially with the D'Amico Ryan's defense, will take you a long way. I think phase two is receiver and a secondary pass rusher. Well, and I think your quarterback has to show that he's ready to to take that next step. Absolutely. That's the most important. No question about it, because we've said it might be the, the single most important position in all of professional sports. So the fact that you think you got your guy... In order to take it to phase two, you got to know you got your guy. 
You've got to get a guy got get a guy that's capable of leading you. Maybe he's not one of the guys of the top five in the NFL, but you've got the guy for you for the foreseeable future to run the quarterback position to take you to that phase. And that's something that has to factor in as well because you're right. Receiver is a huge key because he's got to have a guy that he can throw to and he's got to have guys that he believes in to do their job and get open. And, I, and we've said it might be one of the worst receiver rooms in all of the NFL. When you look at it, you have to give him the opportunities. And then from a defensive standpoint with the pass rush, you can't double-team everybody. And the fact that you some of the best guys that end up with the best seasons pass rushing, there's a lot of havoc created on the opposite side of the football so they can do what they do. And that's when you look at the Pittsburgh defenses when they had all these different guys on the weak side when Watt was doing what he did for, for the Steelers. When you look at what, you know, from the internal rush standpoint and what the Rams do around and to enhance what, what the best, you know, defensive player in all of football does, that's something that you have to factor in. And you can bring it from a variety of different ways. You can bring it from a linebacker. You can bring it from a defensive end. You can do different things. But you've got to have another impactful, disruptive player on the other side of the football, and they don't have that. Jerry Hughes, I think you caught way more lightning in a bottle than you expected. Jerry Hughes is the, the most value Jerry Hughes is is teaching Will Anderson the life of an NFL football player. He could be situationally sure. a guy that can make some plays. But it's not more valuable than, no. than teaching Will Anderson the way of life True. in the NFL. That, that's way more important than Jerry Hughes playing 40% of snaps on Sunday. The best chance for that for it to happen is John Grenard. It is, because uh, two years ago, we thought we were, we, you and I were talking about, was he ready to take the next step? Double digit the sacks. big jump to double digit sacks, right. So, I mean, you need someone else that can be disrupted. You need someone else, doesn't have to be the man, but has to be a man that can really create attention on the offensive side of the football that they know they can't just single handedly try and block with one guy. Grenard had eight sacks in 21. So, like, and he did that in 12 games. So, having the John Grenard double digit sacks last year, like, I thought it was a lock. To be completely honest, now he got hurt, only played eight games, but he also, even in the eight games he played in, he didn't look like himself. He looked like a, like a shell of himself. You know, a lot of times, because the Rockets and Texans are both rebuilding, a lot of times when once a young player is here, I think the fan base immediately acts as if that position is locked. Like Jalen Green. Like Jalen Green's going to be somebody who's going to finish top 10 in scoring someday. Like we automatically think that, and development's the most important piece. Like he has to actually do it. Uh, same thing with C.J. Stroud. Like when you draft a quarterback, C.J. Stroud at number two, you're like, well, the Texans have their franchise quarterback. Harsh reality is there's a lot of times that quarterbacks are bust, especially at the number two pick. So like the development is always, the development of the young players is always the most important thing for young players on a developing team and a rebuilding team. But I think that's phase one. I think that's phase one of a rebuild. I think it's easy in basketball to say you're looking for the guy. It could be a guard. It could be a forward. It could be a wing. It could be a center, though it's more rare But in the NBA as, as opposed to the way it used to be. But the, when you're looking for the man or one of the guys that can be one of the men that leads you, one of the go-to players... You can find it at almost any position in the NBA. From an NFL position, it starts with your quarterback. And then it proceeds to go down in progression to the wide receiver, which has more and more value every single year. And we've seen it from a salary standpoint. But we know the way offenses run in a pass-happy NFL. Receivers are hyper-important. And then from there, it's it's just all the other players. Is it a dominant, disruptive defender or two? Is it you know a running back-tight end combination that adds to what you're able to do offensively? Is it a, you know, your left tackle, but a left tackle isn't that impactful except for it is when he's not doing his job. When he's doing his job, it's not as big of a deal. But overall, the main position on the entire team is the quarterback. And you don't, you don't have the option of going, well, if it's not my quarterback, 
It could be my small forward or my center. It could be my right. Yeah, the wide receiver is second most important, and then defenders are, but not on the same tier as what a quarterback has to do to take the, the step to the next level. The most important thing is Stroud. There's no doubt. Yep. Seven one, but but receiver can also work into that, right? Sure. Quarterback's not a, a dependent variable, or it is a dependent variable. You need a receiver. You need an offensive line. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. What is phase two for the Texans? Borrowing Tillman for Tita's terms for you. Seven one three seven. 803-776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, go to the good people at Apollo Men's Health. Look, if you don't have as much energy, it's the dog days of summer, you're hot, you're bothered, and you just run out of juice real quickly. You don't have the energy to get everything done in the day. Now you can get help, and it's coming from the people at Apollo Men's Health. Both men and women are in there on a daily basis, and they're going to everything from B12 shots to all the different ways they can get hormone therapy and get more energy to get more things done on a daily basis. It's working and people are loving it because I hear from them as I come into the clinic every single week. I get a B12 shot. I feel like it helps me. Some other people like all the different ways they can get hormone therapy. They can administer it themselves or they can come in and the clinic can do it for them as well. You can get cutting edge pellet testosterone therapy. You only have to come in every six months, but it gives you more energy on a daily basis. Want to get things for a workout? They've got everything to help you recover quicker, to chart your progress uh, with a full body composition analysis to all the things for your smoothies and supplements too. Also, if you want to lose weight, but you don't have time to go to the gym, they're offering FDA approved semi-glutide now. Lose up to six pounds in a week, and all it takes is going to Apollo Men's Health, getting on the appointment, and understanding and getting on the program. That's what they're there for, to do good things and get great results for you as you try to live your life on a daily basis. Go to ApolloMH.com right now. Check out all the services they offer. If there's a few that interest you, sign up for your first appointment right there online. When you do, you'll find out most major insurance is accepted, and there's discounts for military personnel and first responders. Mention my name, Joel Blank, free B12 shot or free body composition analysis on your first official visit. Then let the process go from there. Go in, be honest, tell them where you're lacking, tell them what you'd like to do. They'll get you on a program that works. They'll get you the results you need. Go see my friends at Apollo Men's Health. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Max Scherzer loaded the bases in the first, didn't give up a run. He's got two outs right now. Mid Scherzer. It's more like it. Mid Thompson. Uh, what? Clay Thompson's little brothers just struck out. That's oh, is that who that was? Yeah. He was batting with the bases loaded one out. He struck out. One of he was with the Dodgers brothers. for like two years, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah he I think, him to the Sox. I think he was drafted by the White Sox, went to the Dodgers, now back. Oh. I think he's, he's not very good. He he's, had a decent year last year for the Dodgers. Did he really? Yeah. I remember him just being like very mediocre, mm-hmm. like a fringe player, like a 4A player. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. For a while. <laughs> uh, HRMP listener line. What is your phase two for the Houston Texans? Junior Broncos says phase two, teach CJ to read. Junior, we're not reading that on the air. What are you doing, Junior Broncos? We're not reading teach CJ to read as phase two. Joe, what do you have for your phase two for the Houston Texans? Well, my first question is, are, are we doing? there's more than three phases, right? It's The NFL is different than the NBA. I guess you can go as far as you want it to go. Because like the, the NBA is different. I feel like it's, it's suck, it's be kind of good, and then it's be really good. The NFL feels like there's at least there's like a phase before you become a Super Bowl team. Get close to 500. So is that phase two? Close That's, to 500? Yeah, close to 500. Like, start winning football games. Beat someone that's good. Like, 
not just go well, not just three one, one either, and right? one against your division or whatever they go and be like Lovey Smith and parade the fact that you have a winning record in the AFC South. Like who cares? Remember when everybody when loved the Lovey Smith hire? Beat someone that's good. Like that would be teams. like not just one fluky win yes. against the Chiefs. Yes, but not like the Chargers. Do it a couple times years. where you go, hey, that's a team that might be on the come up. Yeah, not like the Chargers win with Davis Mills, where it's like, oh, what is this? Like on a consistent basis, be competitive and beat some good teams when they're on your schedule. Take care of your business. But I think phase two is is get close to five hundred, and I think phase two is this year, maybe well, next year. I think it almost has to be with the way they set the table for themselves. I mean, I look, I I'm I'm locked in on seven wins. Uh, so like seven wins high. is like the next phase for me, and then you, from there it's make the playoffs. And what's what's hard about the Texans this year though is like. Their schedule's so soft. Like if they win seven games against this schedule, Doesn't it's like it's not really a seven-win team. Like but I know I mean, that they won does. seven games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, internally, be it's that. a massive kick in the shorts on the right in the right direction. It's a boost. But league-wide, you're right. League-wide, they look at it and go, do it again. Yeah, um, that's fine. Like phase two, like seven, eight, nine wins. To me, I look at more about the build though, because we talk about this a lot. Like, I mean, the Texans can win six games next year, but CJ Stroud looks the part. He's a year away from being really good. Uh, Will Anderson is a good rookie year, and you can tell that year two his development is going to be like. I, I could see the Texans going from six wins to nine wins. Like them going to eight to nine, I don't think is relevant. Like the the amount of if we're going to pencil in sunk cost, fixed rate, two thousand and twenty. 2024. 2024. Is this the 23 season? 2024. We are locking in the Texans in 2024. Go nine and eight. That's fixed. We know that right now. Does it matter what they do in 2023? I think when you when you're starting a whole new era with a new coach, and you're trying to build the culture, and you're trying to build bring back the fan base, and you're trying to get everybody internally and externally to believe again. I do think it does mean something for this season. See, I, I think, get what you're saying. From I think a you can accomplish all of that without winning, though. Yeah, it is possible. But again, I also think that it hurts you that you could accomplish all that without winning, and then you're not going to get the reward at the end of the season for trying hard but not getting the W's because your pick isn't going to be w- your own. No, like, but I think it's like right, you're, that's the, that's, that, that that's, the, that's the like that's the black cloud over any future Texans conversation, yep. like long term Texans conversation. That is the black cloud that's not going to leave the room until next year's draft. Because if you because I think you're right, Jeremy. It's that, it, and well, both of you guys are right that if they if they're building towards something like the win losses, they just they don't have to be there. But it sucks that the fact that they might not be there, and you don't get you don't get that carrot. The like, reason- you don't you don't get the number two pick because look, I my, you guys don't agree with me very clearly about the team in Chicago, but they believe that last year, like their roster and with the cap space they had, they're on the right path. Like, they're on away. But they were the worst team in the NFL for a reason. Like, the Texans can be an awful football team this year, but you can see, you know, D'Amico's scheme is good. C.J. Stroud is much better quarterback from week one to week 18. Like, as long as they're heading that direction, it's fine. It just kind of sucks that if you're the second worst team in the NFL that you don't get your pick. No doubt. Because, like, right, what if I told you, like, we think there's a, well, we don't think this, but they're trying to spin there's a quarterback competition. What if I gave you... I gave you two options. You win seven games next year. And again, let's operate like 2024 is a fixed nine wins no matter what. You can win seven games this year, or you can win four games this year. But option A, you win seven games with Davis Mills. Option B, you win four games with C.J. Stroud. Which of the two are you taking? And I'll even say option B, C.J. Stroud looks fine. Like, he looks like he looks promising. He's struggling. I, I, honestly, I, then, Jeremy, then I want B. 
You want option B. Yeah. Absolutely, you want option B. Yeah, it's about it's about CJ's See, development. It changes the conversation. That's the black guys, cloud. It's because the black of the cloud. black cloud. It changes the conversation <laughs> because it does matter how many wins they get this year. Because it has to matter because of the fact that you gave up your pick. It would be all sunshine and rainbows if you took option B and and Mills still looked good and you, it, you just didn't register on the win totals and it might be more beneficial. But it can't be now because you did what you did on draft. But I still think you take option B. I, and I, I, I just I, Stroud looks promising with four wins. Or Davis Mills, Davis mediocre Mills wins seven games. You're still taking. But option as long B. as there's nothing wrong with Stroud and he could and he still was progressing, then you at least get the wins to 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 kind of keep you going in, uh, on the right direction. As opposed to well, if he's not playing, all he's the negativity gonna that's going to come with the fact that no matter what CJ does or doesn't do, and it's great that he looks good. But then at the end of the year, you're going to face that firestorm of look what you did but to also, screw like, this up. It, it, I don't think, but you don't have to screw up just because you gave up your pick. Like that's where like it becomes it goes past the CJ conversation. It becomes a CJ and a Will Anderson conversation. Yeah, because while everything Will Anderson does is connected to CJ Stroud, it does go a little bit the same way you know the other way. If CJ Stroud, you know, is a, a really solid quarterback this year, and he consistently has flashes where you say. Oh, that's a franchise quarterback. That's not Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. Like that is a guy that when you get him T Higgins this offseason, that he's going to take the next step in his career. And on the flip side, Will Anderson wins defense, defensive rookie of the year, which I think he likely will. Then I don't care if they lose the fourth pick in the draft. Like I know it'd be nice to have it, but you would care. You would care. Especially if you knew who it was. But you're still taking to, it over option A. I think you have to view whatever they lose next year is Will Anderson. So if the Texans end up with the fourth pick, you have to view it as Will sure. Anderson is the fourth pick of the 2023 NFL draft. But it's still going to sting. I yeah, mean, the Astros just acquired sting. the Astros just acquired their greatest starting pitcher in franchise history that has won multiple Cy Youngs and multiple titles for them for a couple of prospects they've never seen play live and it already stings. So like it, it's going to sting. But is it, it's going to hurt. The, the, but if Will Anderson's great already, like right away, if he's good, he's yeah, banging. It's he's a softer rolling. landing. But it's also it's just you don't have Will Anderson if you have that pick. So if you see those mm-hmm. moments from both these guys, then I think we'll feel okay next year. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, it's a softer landing, but you're still going to feel it. You're going to feel it because the it's, draft. It's, it's just it's human nature that you're going to feel it because people, especially after draft night, are going to look at who went at, who went with your pick, and they're going to point the finger and say you could have had so and so, or you could have you could have Marvin Harrison Jr., or you could have had someone else that people are going to immediately start visualizing in their mind that should have been a Houston Texan. And and it's just going to create negative talk and negative around a team that otherwise it looks like it's going in the right direction. And a lot of things that are positives you'd be building around. I just don't, I don't don't really agree because if Will Anderson's good, then I think it really knocks out a lot of that conversation where it'd be great to have, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. But if Will Anderson's elite, and you think he's going to be, and yeah. you have the money to go sign T. Higgins, like I would take C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, T. Higgins if C.J. Stroud's really good, and so is Will Anderson. Like Marvin Harrison, yeah, it's it seems like he's going to be a generational prospect. It, it does. It does feel like that next year's draft is way better. That Caleb Williams, now people I saw on ESPN last night or on ESPN.com yesterday, they're trying to say he's the best since luck. Like, I mean, we've heard that before. Like, yeah, maybe you went a year too early to go this all in. But as long as these guys produce, 
I think it still works out in the Texans' favor. I think it's a valid discussion, Joe, in the fact that you could say, what's better? C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., and free agent defender that's on the market, or C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, and best wide receiver or that's just, on the market that you can get. Because you're right. The argument is if you get T. Higgins as your one, now the sting is probably a little less if Marvin Harrison was the apple of your eye. Sure. And, and look, and also, obviously this is all based on how the draft falls, too. Mm. You know, the, the, really, two of the best players in the draft next year are left tackles. Well, so, I'm not going to go that far. You don't think the kid from Notre Dame? I think they're really good, but they're not the two best players in the draft. The two of the best. But I, I think they're second tier, though, because yeah, I think I Caleb think Williams Caleb and Marvin Williams Harrison are tier one. But I don't if, think either one of those guys the is kid in that from same Carolina tier. might but be there, get, too. But if you, get like Maybe. The, yeah. if you get, like, the fourth pick in the draft, and it goes Caleb Williams, you know, Drake May, Marvin Harrison, and the Texans would have had the fourth pick... It's it just it's things a little bit less. It's easier to, it's easier the to more, digest. The that. more yes. games yeah. you win this year, the better you're going to feel about well, that. Well, okay, but what if I change it on the other side of this for you? And I said in the same scenario, everything that you said, only instead of four wins, it's two, and, and, and instead of the fourth pick, it would have been the one or the two pick. I'm still probably taking the option with Stroud because I don't I mean because the Davis Mills is just a mediocre quarterback at this point. If you're telling me you win two games, but Stroud looks like a franchise quarterback, I'm still taking option B. Now it stings yeah. a lot worse. It's things a lot worse. And you need him to show those flashes that he looks yeah. like a franchise yeah. quarterback. I still have to go the franchise quarterback option despite the wins. And, and, and I hate the black cloud of the right, draft. Because you could have the option of basically having your pick of quarterback, wide receiver, because or other. You shouldn't be looking at a quarterback's rookie year and counting the win-loss record. Like It's so unfair to C.J. Stroud. Well, you have to. Now. I know. Like if, yeah. Stroud, if Stroud's showing promise and they win two games, the city's going to be livid. Yep. Like The city's going to be mad. And I hate and that for Stroud. And you shouldn't you shouldn't put that on a rookie quarterback. That's why I hate the black cloud. Because I wish that I could watch the 2023 Texan season, seeing the development of Stroud, seeing him work through mistakes and losing efforts, uh, seeing Will Anderson rack up some sacks even if they're losing games. Like 2023, we should be watching the Texans based on development and growth, not win loss record in this trade in the black cloud. Has changed that. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line. Bad Take Boulevard, who makes the list this week? You can let us know if you have some as well. Maybe they'll make the list. 713-780-3776. Bad Take Boulevard with the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. So many bad takes on sports. What do you do with all of them? Only there is something in your head to control the things you say. Well, the Killer Bees use them to build an actual street where they can get run over. For all eternity. 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 What's that street? Bad Take Boulevard. Bad, 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 bad Take, Bad Take. Bad Leading take off Bad Take Boulevard this week, and might be batting second, maybe even third, the General John McClain. And I know this is going to make Lamont happy. Lamont's been railing on John McClain on Twitter. He's been letting Justin John McClain. Justin is also not a big fan. Really? Yeah, Dustin's got him in the crosshairs, too. I've seen Lamont just railing on John McClain. <laughs> Lamont said something along the lines that if you're relying on the general for football like takes, that you're not even a casual, like you're a novice, I think is what he said. I got a which text. Which is hilarious. <laughs> I got a text last week from a friend from the other place I used to work, and they're like, oh, you guys are mean to John McClain. Oh, really? Like, it's deserved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We call it like it is. It's just maybe we're mean. Maybe we're going to be called jerks. But, hey, we owe it to you, the listener, to be honest, uh, John McClain was out at Texans training camp the other day. I've, I've been at Texans training camp a couple of times. Um, I, I've seen what the Texans you know, PR staff that are always classy, always class acts, no matter what. Uh, they're very classy, the organization. Uh, John, the general McClain, said a perk of being the controlling owner, Janice McNair watches from an air-conditioned tent. Wonder if she'll consider an air-conditioned tent for the media. Okay, a lot of, a lot of layers to this onion that need to pin, be, be peeled back. 
Janice McNair's how old? Like she's 90s. probably in her eighties, nineties, late eighties. Right? She's in a wheelchair. Like, what are you? Why are you banging on Janice McNair? Watching practice from an air conditioned tent. God, Don't you think the owner of the organization, who is a ninety year old woman, deserves to be in an air conditioned tent? Yes. Weird thing to say, John. Which he later apologized she's for, 86. but I'm not going to let the truth get in the way of a, of a true story. She's eighty six in a yeah. wheelchair. She needs to be in the AC, John. Like my goodness. And then secondly. John says, wonder if she'll consider an air-conditioned tent for the media. Do you know what the Houston Texans have at media? Do you know what they have, their their coolers of waters and Gatorade that they give to the media? Which they don't have to do. Again, classy organization, keeping us hydrated. They, don't, they want to make sure that we're taken care of. Do you know where those are located in? An air-conditioned tent for the media. General's lost his fastball. Now, let me ask, uh, I'm going to ask a clarification question here. All right. Can you really watch practice? Yes, you can. From, okay. You can. Because there's right. clear sided. There's some clear siding on it, and it's right over field number two. Like, you can actually get a better angle sometimes because it extends from the media area, so you have nobody in front of you. So, yeah. I mean, look, if I, yeah, if I actually go to one of these things, I'm probably just going to stay in there the whole time. I, I've considered it, especially with the non-team periods when they're just like, you know, tossing the ball around or like doing like these weird positional drills. Like the team periods are the only fun parts of training camp anyway. So John McClain lands on the list. Did you have another one for McClain? Yeah, I'm still searching because there were so many. But he went <laughs> on a, I mean, you know, he's got too much time on his hands. And he obviously needs another hobby besides fine dining because of the fact that he starts to go on these baseball takes. And, and when he goes on the baseball takes, they're just cringeworthy with how bad they are. And he just gets roasted every time he puts them out there. Guys, I look at what the Rangers did, and they got in Max Scherzer. Advantage Rangers, what are you going to do? Oh, yeah. He did go nuts after the mid Scherzer trade to the Rangers. like, oh, the Astros got to catch up. I'm not even going to try that voice. They got to do something now. <laughs> Your general's better than the general. Oh, man, that's pretty good. Uh, so, John McClain. I'm going to be like you, you the rest the of the show if I keep talking you might, in that voice. Yeah, chill out. Only one of us I haven't seen my feet since July of 1973. Where's, where's Jericho? Tell him McClain that he made the list. John McClain, you've made the list. Tell him. You Y2J. just made the list. There you go. Uh, Dr. Dre on 290. Uh-oh, your guy. He's made the list. Uh, Dr. Dre on 290. This was on the trade deadline show that we had the other day. Uh, this was before the Justin Verlander trade. Dr. Dre might have had the stupidest trade proposal that I have ever seen in my life. Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre, I quote from the Twitch, three-team trade, Michael Lorenzen to Houston, Justin Verlander to Detroit, Hunter Brown to the Mets. Dr. You Dre, made you the made list. the list. That is abysmal. That's terrible. What are you doing, Dr. Dre? You don't give up Hunter Brown. Stupid trade. You just don't give up Hunter Brown. You also don't take Lorenzen in that deal and let Verlander go to Detroit. Right? Like you're giving you're giving away Hunter Brown and you're getting the worst pitcher in that three-team trade. I know Lorenzen's ERA is better than Hunter Brown, but Lorenzen's not better than Hunter Brown. What are you doing, Dr. Dre? You've made the list. Uh, Joe, did you have one? College yeah, who, realignment. Yeah, who's the uh, college, the old Pac-12 commissioner? Larry, uh, Larry Scott. Larry Scott. He makes the list because once upon a time, Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12, <laughs> and the uh, commissioner of the Big 12 called Mr. Scott and said, hey, let's form a partnership. Let's align. Let's find a TV deal. To, let's merge our conferences. Scott said, no, thank you. And they then, the following year, called the Big 12 back and tried to re-bring up that deal. The Big 12 and Yormac rejected them. So, Larry Scott, you just made the list. Because your conference is dead. It looks like it doesn't look good for the Pac-12. It looks like Oregon and Washington are going to go to the Big 10, 
and that Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah are coming to the Big 12. So you have Pac-12 would have Stanford and Cal left. Like, they're going to merge with the Mountain West Conference. Because they're at nine right now? Yeah, if, but yeah, they're at nine currently after Colorado so they, left, right? Yeah, so, so they're they'd, they'd have four, four left. So you'd have, you'd have Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal. That's it? No, there's probably, there's got to be another one. I think that's everything. Because seven teams would be leaving. Oh, because five team, five new ones are five, going to. Five new ones are leaving. That's right. So those would be the four left. Yeah, so Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford. Well, I hope they enjoy the Mountain West Conference. Yikes. With Boise. It's amazing. The conference that has statistically the most championships in college in college sports, not just college football. The Pac-12 has the most overall championships, and they're going to be the dissolved. conference of champ. What's Bill Walton going to do, dude? He's going to. I'm. Gonna, we're going to have to send out some help for Bill Walton. We're going to do a wellness check on Roll Bill Walton down, when the conference of champions dies. I, mean, I guess he's going to be conference of champions. The Big Ten now, if UCLA's there, he's going to be. He's going to be the West John Coast Big Willen Ten guy. The UCLA Bruins. I guess Unbelievable. So. They, they've botched the whole thing. They botched the merger. They botched the, the if the Oklahoma Texas thing was real. They botched that. They've botched the current TV deal. Like it, it's bad. I mean, they went in with like, hey, we're going to do Apple. They tried. The thing, the Big Twelve was right when they made that initial phone call. When Oklahoma and Texas decided they were going to the SEC, the best thing to do would have been to call the University of Houston, Cincinnati, a BYU, and UCF, mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, come join our conference, and we'll all go to the Pac-12 together." So that eventually, when Oregon left, anyways, to go to the Big Ten, you'd have a real conference. Yeah, they could have done that. They could have also just tried to expand the market quicker. Like they could have tried to go Houston instead of the Big Twelve. They could have tried to poach TCU, maybe yeah. a Texas Tech, maybe an Oklahoma State, and then also take those West Coast, the uh, East Coast, the and, UCFs. And, and now the question is that, like, I know they signed a terrible TV contract, but Florida State's president, oh yeah, is saying that they're unhappy in the ACC. I I, I was listening to an interview with on the Dan Patrick Show is uh, Ross Dellinger. He said what he thinks the path we're heading on is two super conferences in the Big Ten and the SEC. Those conferences are going to pay their players Mm -hmm. and become a semi-pro league. And then the rest of it, so like the Big 12, everything else, that goes back to the NCAA. And they go back to like the older way of doing things. I think ultimately it's going to be close to that. I'm not yeah. sure it's going to be I don't think two. It's, I think it's going to be three. I think there's going to be about 48 teams in two or three different conferences, and they do form their own league. I, think, I, I do think it will be that. I, see, I wonder if Florida State makes the call to the SEC and the Big Ten. Maybe this new Big 12, they try to do the same thing they just did with what's remaining of the ACC. I'm not sure if they make sense for the SEC because I don't think that adds any new eyeballs. No, I think they go to the Big Ten. I think they either Florida go to the Big State? Ten or the Big yeah. Twelve. I think I think you could see. I think Florida State and Miami. One goes to the Big Ten. One goes to the Big Twelve. Not SEC though. I agree. Clemson goes to the SEC. I could see that. And then the rest. Maybe I could see North merge. Carolina in the SEC. North Carolina is a pretty big market. But if I'm the Big that's Twelve, not that's not a big. Call. But if I'm the Big Twelve and I've made it clear I'm going to be the basketball conference, then I want Duke and North Carolina. Yeah. From a basketball perspective, yeah, Florida State's one of the one make, big, making the biggest stink as of today, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? They're we, all over it. They're really right the now. only one that has been outspoken from yeah. the ACC, yeah. Can you imagine if we like, wake up one day and the Big 12, basketball-wise, is Houston, Kansas, Baylor, Duke, North Carolina. Arizona. Arizona, UConn, Gonzaga. <laughs> they might not have football, but they're going to dominate college basketball. See, what's interesting if they do break out, though, and do like a 48-team super football league, like, what does it do for college basketball? I think it's the same thing. Like, do you, you think it's football only? 
See, I've always felt like that's kind of where we were headed originally was that USC and UCLA would say, look, we can't financially support, you know, having the volleyball team travel to Northwestern a couple times a year. Like it's going to be men's basketball and football are going to join these super conferences and then everything else goes back to the way it used to be. Yeah. Like what's interesting about football and basketball, like even as it's currently constructed, football is the only sport at the top level. At the football championship, no, it's like I guess it's the bowl subdivision, the FBS. I always get confused with those. The college football is the only sport where they have their own postseason that's separate from the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Baseball, basketball, vol- every other sport, with the exception of football, is is the governing bodies, the NCAA. But FBS football, the NCAA yeah. has zero governing body when it comes to the postseason. It's weird. So you could see like a forty-eight super team football only league, and then all those schools are still part of the NCAA for the non-football sports. It's almost like Notre Dame in a way, where it's like they're, the football teams are independent of the NCAA, but mm-hmm. how and Notre Dame's an independent football team, but they're part of the ACC in every other sport. Like it almost like that kind of feels like where we are headed. That happens a lot actually in other sports. Like, you, we don't see it because we don't pay attention a whole lot to other sports, but you have, like, random teams that are, like, in the ACC for, like, soccer uh, sure. and, and, like, volleyball. Like, you, you do see it a lot in the other sports. A lot of times the, the lower-level ones, too, like lacrosse and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Exactly. I was going to say, just before we wrap up this segment, what's what's worse to you, the master of the obvious that says, Rangers have added two pitchers and a catcher. They're on the go. They're going for it. <laughs> or? I got the other one. Let me set some water. <laughs> I'm guessing it's still the general who's going to book into our uh, our Pate Boulevards. We're both going to have bad Rangers voices. Rangers and Scherzer coming. Astros have Arcady. No offense to Jose. He's no Mad Max. Advance is Rangers. Uh, that second one's worse. <laughs> Oh, man, the general on Twitter. Uh, that does it for Bad Take Boulevard. Uh, John McClain booking in our Bad Take Boulevards and our friend Dre, who made the list as well. Uh, I've seen a lot of who is the ace dialogue and questions when it comes to the Astros. Who cares? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, the best in the business at doing the neograph procedure. If you don't know what it is, but you're losing your hair, maybe it's in front. Maybe it's up on top. The bottom line is you're never going to lose it on the sides and the back. Genetically, Doc Linville told me the research is there. Guys don't lose their hair on the sides or the back. They lose it up on top and in front. He can correct that. He can fix that. He can take your hair from where you have a lot of it, never going to lose it, put it where you need it most with the Neograph procedure. Check it out today. As a listener to ESPN 97.5, you get a free consultation with Doc Linville and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks. For you, it's absolutely free. No obligation, no money out of pocket. Ask all the questions, get all the answers, find out if it's right for you like it was right for me. I got my hair back. Doc Linville wanted to meet with me for quite a while. When he finally did, he said, look, Joel, your hairline, I can get it back for you. The rest of your hair, it's good, it's full, it's thick, but you need some help up front. I can give it to you. I listened. I learned. And then I realized 95 to 99% of the follicles moved, stay, grow with you with the, for the long haul. Don't go, They don't disappear. That's what made me make the, the decision to get the procedure done. And boy, am I happy I, I've done it. I've got my hair back. I've got a better hairline. I have more confidence looking in the mirror knowing that I am not suffering from pattern baldness and losing my hairline. It's fantastic. You could be the next in line. Go to 975hair.com. Book that, that, that free consultation and talk to them. Get answers and see if it's right for you too. Tell them I sent you by because I will talk for them forever because they are great people doing this great procedure and you could be the next to get it done too. Check out the Neograph procedure. Go to 975hair.com. 
Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. Uh, the textures are texting us in. The mid-Scherzer debut for the Texas Rangers. He's lucky he's only given up three runs through two. We have it We have it up here on the... Uh, we are watching. Dave Raymond, CJ Nikowski Network. You're not listening, thank God, to no, that crap. It's on the mute. Uh, Scherzer has given up uh, three runs on six hits over two innings and has walked two. He's allowed eight base runners in his first two innings. And it could have been worse. It could have been more than these three runs. He like, got out of a couple jams. 3-1, White Sox. They go to the third. I don't feel very confident that the White Sox can hang on to a lead. I don't either. The White Sox traded away more than half of their pitching staff. <laughs> Poor Joe George and Brendan Oh, Ryan. come on. I texted Brendan the other no I didn't I didn't I tweeted Brendan the other day. I said who loves Detroit more? You or Eduardo Rodriguez? And he ignored me and then asked about how I felt about getting Justin Verlander back. Is that all he asked you? I'm sure he has lots of questions these days. Yeah. <laughs> He's questioning a lot of things in life, including well, I'm not going to say that. That's got to be a miserable job. I don't know. Yeah, but he, he, just cuz they stink, man. Yeah, like, but financially it was a no-brainer. Because they, I I produce Rockets games for Two for three years. No, that's a miserable. It's a miserable experience because they were so bad. Like you're you're producing a game in which the Rockets are on by thirty points, and you know you have the next two hours of your life are if you ruined. If you work with a team on a on one of the three big sports, the worst one to work on is baseball. If 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 you could pick any of the three, regular that would games. stink. Like yeah. one of the three has to suck. Which of the three is the most miserable? It's baseball by far. Oh, yeah. Because basketball at least is fast. Yep. Basketball is quick. You play half the games you, you do in baseball, and they're fast. So you're in and you're out. You don't have to sit there and talk about them because it's 98% action. Football, you play once a week, whatever. But baseball, where there's 97% downtime and there's way more games, if there's one sport to suck at, you do not want it to be baseball. No, you're right. And, and you know, growing up, like I said, my dad had, he was a radio guy. So he had Bob Euchre on. The greatest Euchre. games when a guy is as talented as Euchre is are those games that are blowouts where you have to talk even more because the stories come out and they're just vintage, entertaining stories that you don't want to miss a sing- you you don't want to miss a story more than you don't want to miss the next pitch or a hit. But it is a talent, it is an art form because it is tough to have that much downtime without action going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been hearing blankers a lot of dialogue of who is the ace of the staff. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. If you if you want to crown the ace of the staff, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven. I did not. Oh. Did y'all talk about it? We talked about it a little bit because it came up. I imagine every show in the city of Houston was having the who is the ace conversation. I mean, I, I, I kind of positioned it from the standpoint of what could the day have gone any better? The night gone any better for you? You get Verlander and coming off of Verlander, Fromber got right. Yeah. And in the process, it behooved you to at least get to the conversation of Fronber, whether he was making a statement or not, basically saying, I'm back and I'm going to be at the front end of this rotation. And then you can get to a, you know, matchups and who's the ace and who's going to get the ball in game one versus game two and all those other things. But it's a great problem to have because now you've got that second horse at the top of the line, the rotation. You think that that Javier is on his way back to be the third, and you're in a much stronger position regardless of who gets the ball in game one. No, absolutely. And I thought it was interesting, too, Fromber's comments after the game where he's like, yeah, I've been a little distracted lately. I was That was curious to me. It's like, oh, maybe that all-star stuff did get to Fromber Valdez a little that, bit. Remember when he said at certain times during the regular season this year, 
that there were games that he wanted to throw. The national TV game, he wanted to throw a no-hitter. He wanted to go out and really, really, you know, deal. He's a freak show. And, and it is weird what goes on between the man's ears. But when he gets that extra, you know, and I talked about external motivation, like the Michael Jordan stories when we watched The Last Dance. Fromber seems to be a guy that it doesn't matter where it comes from, but if he gets that extra kick in the pants, he can ramp it up another notch or he can dial it in to where it used to be and he can show you that he should be an ace on most staffs in baseball. Absolutely. Look, I think they're both capable of being aces. And I think I don't I don't like the conversation. Like, which of the guys is the ace? Who cares? Who cares which guy is an ace? You know what you need to do in the playoffs to win the World Series? And we've seen this happen in Houston twice. You have to win at least 11 games in the postseason to win the World Series. If you have one ace, if you have two ace, if Fromber's the one, if JV's the one, who cares? You have to win 11 games. You have to eat up 36 innings of winning baseball in the World Series, in the ALCS, in the Division Series. Who cares who the ace is? And I understand it's good fodder. Which of the two is the better pitcher? Like, I get it. But once you get to the post, like, and even the regular season, each one's going to pitch every six game if the Astros go to a six-man rotation. So who cares who's the designated ace? Fromber's pitching once every six game. Justin Verlander's pitching once every six game. You get to the postseason, who cares who's starting game one who versus who's starting game two? You know who I want starting game one? The guy who's in better form. And I can't tell you if it's going to be Justin Verlander or Fromber Valdez who's in better playoff form on August 3rd. I can tell you they're going to win 11 games and that I want two guys that are capable of being the ace. I, I find the ace conversation to be silly, quite frankly. Yeah, I feel like the only time it's going to be actually really relevant is well, when Fromber Valdez gets named the opening day starter in 2024 because he is the ace of the staff because he's been here. Justin, Look, Justin left. This is Fromber's team now. Like it's the only time it really matters is next year. It doesn't matter. But I think also, Joe, to that point, what's going to matter is the guy you've already got locked up is the guy that's the veteran on the downside of his career. The guy that all this stuff means something to that you're trying to at least consider thinking about locking up long term and keeping around is the guy you're going to try harder to appease on those type things. I don't think Verlander at this type at this uh, stage in his career, with all he's accomplished. And the fact that he's got that massive payday, I don't think I don't think he's going to have as much, you know, vigor for and and intensity for being the opening day starter. Whereas Dana Brown says, "Look, I'm trying to make this dude happy so that he wants to stay here when we get into some negotiations. I'm going to do this for him. I want Dusty to do this for him because that it it would mean something to all of us." Yeah, I don't. I, I, that's probably the first time it really matters and is tangible for people within that clubhouse and in that front office. Like, again, I understand that it's fun radio fodder. Which of these guys is the ace? Who is starting game one of an American League division series? Well, I'll tell you whenever you get there. Because because if Justin Verlander's pitching to a 5 ERA and Fromber's pitching to a 1 ERA, well, I want Fromber. If Fromber's pitching like he did before this no-hitter and Justin Verlander continues this current form, I want Justin Verlander. So, like, it, it's it's silly to me. And again, it's a like, great problem to have. Great problem to have because you want as many good pitches as you can get. If you have to win eleven games, I don't care who the aces are. I care about quality. How many and staff both are in quality. baseball right now are sitting there with the, even the ability to have the conversation of I have potentially two aces on my staff that I'm going to throw out there in games one and two? I mean, you know, the Yankees have a Garrett Cole, but what are they following up with? You know, the Braves Nestor, might the molester. The, yeah, the Braves might when well, he's finally back for them. Yeah. But when you're looking at the Braves, maybe the Braves have that conversation. Maybe when they're healthy, you you, you have that conversation between Strider and Freed and the guys that they have. Yeah, they're pretty stout. Yeah, you might have that conversation. I think that's the only other team. But other than that, stout. even the Dodgers and the Padres and all these other teams, you're like, no one's capable of having the conversation that we're having right now about the the, the starting pitchers that the Astros have. 
The no. Rangers might have the conversation, but it might be like, who's going to suck less? Mid Scherzer and is Eovaldi back? Uh, you know, like, Jeremy, we talked about it before you left, and then Joe and I followed up on it. But a lot of the moves we saw late let you believe what we already were saying. There's the guys that are going to be done for the year. Toronto went and got a shortstop because it looks like Bo Bichette, no matter what they're trying to call that and spin that, yeah. he's probably done. The diagnosis was better than It was because it looked like a what tear, like. but they were saying that maybe it was patellar tendonitis. But like, when you look at the fact that Jonah Heim with that hook cast that he keeps wearing and the fact that they went out and traded for Hedges at the, at the deadline right at the last minute probably tells you they're not expecting or counting on or at least they're concerned about Jonah Heim playing the rest of the season. Same with Uvalde. The only reason why they went and got Jordan Montgomery, you know, after getting Scherzer, was because Uvalde right after that was put on the IL, and there's a pretty good chance he, he might not pitch the rest of the regular season. McClanahan glass now, maybe the maybe the counter. Oh, that's good. Maybe the counter. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Someone said thirty six innings. Yeah, maybe not the best example, but I was saying four wins, nine innings a game, nine eighteen twenty seven thirty six. That's what I was going for there. Maybe he didn't spin that the right way. Not seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. But they're not our the, numbers. Got, no. Well, I mean, I was well, right. You, mean you are. You four wins, nine innings in those four wins is 36. Uh, but, yeah, I probably didn't paint the picture I was trying to. 713-780-3776. Bobby Slowick talked the other day. And this show doesn't play tons of sound, but Bobby Slowick said some things about C.J. Stroud that, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't love hearing. We'll see what you think. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.